Hello, and welcome to the KPMG podcast series for tax, legal, and mobility leaders. We're focusing this podcast series on the ongoing global impacts of COVID-19 by looking at the tax, legal, and mobility considerations and top-of-mind business issues that have resulted from this global situation. In today's episode, we have Stuart Fuller, Global Head of Legal Services, KPMG International, Arco Verholst, Global Head of Deal Advisory, M&A Tax, KPMG International, and Life Zias, Global Head of Deal Advisory, also at KPMG International. Together, we look at how global M&A activity has been affected as a result of COVID-19, what tax leaders should have in mind to be best positioned to execute deals in the current environment, as well as steps companies should consider if faced with restructuring or insolvency decisions. Stuart, Arco, Life, thanks for joining us today. Hi, how are you? Good afternoon. Life, I'd like to kick off our conversation with you if I can. Could you set the scene for us and explain how global M&A activity has been affected as, as a result of COVID-19? Yes, very happy to. What we had seen, and quite consistently over the last four or five years before the crisis, was a very active M&A market. It was actually at um, 4.1 trillion US dollars in total M&A value. And that is very close to the all-time high we have seen of $4.5 trillion in uh, 2007. So it was a very active M&A market. But even more importantly, um, we have been in an environment of um, disruption, of digitization, of sector convergence, an environment of extremely low interest rates and record amounts of dry powder in the private equity industry. And now COVID-19 came into it as a real shock. And um, basically, due to the very high uncertainty that it, uh, that it has caused with respect to profit expectations and the general economic environment, it has led to a more or less a stop of M&A activity. So, uh, for the first quarter uh, or for, and for the global M&A market, we can already see a decline of the overall value of about 40%. Uh, we don't have very good numbers for the second quarter, but I'm quite sure the numbers will be shocking in the sense that uh, that market has more or less come to a stop for now. And to what extent is the crisis affecting the mega trends you mentioned earlier? Some of the mega trends will not go away. So the low interest rate environment with the crisis would not only not go away, but we can have the expectation that it will stay for longer. Um, the liquidity is not going away. And with the low interest rate environment, we will really see further inflows of capital into the institutional investors and and funds industry. And most importantly, the crisis is really serving as a catalyst for the disruption and the major changes that companies will have to make to their business models. The big question is, what is the time lag? When will that activity kick in again? And that will have to do uh, not just with the length of the recession that we are respecting, but also with the time 
of very, very high uncertainty uh, that we will see. So, in other words, my clear expectation is that we will go back to a very lively market once, once uh, expectations get clearer. Um, I'm not so much waiting for a recession that we will for sure see to end, but for uh, the uh, expectations to become clearer. Thanks, Life. Arco, are you seeing the same effects to the M&A market? We've seen a significant contraction of the M&A market uh, during COVID. Uh, the first period of COVID, those transactions that were in flight, so had significant progress, have in a lot of cases been completed. What we also do see is those transactions that were in early stages uh, basically are largely put on hold. Interestingly, uh, what we are also seeing is a couple of transactions where a purchaser publicly tries to pull back from transactions that were almost done and dusted. So we also see that. So we've uh, seen a, a drop in transactions, which is it's significant. Depends a bit on the statistics, but... Um, uh, roughly speaking, between 50 and 70% down compared to uh, to previous years. Thanks, Arco. Th- those are quite dramatic figures. Stuart, what are you seeing in terms of deal execution and flow? What has been the experience so far across KPMG's legal services network? Uh, what we're seeing is as deals continue, even though they may not be completed, is the need to be very creative and flexible. So whether it's um, around the nature of the deal, the pricing adjustment, uh, even down to what sort of representations and warranties and covenants are given, uh, clients are adapting very quickly to the new environment and recognising that there needs to be much more flexibility and creativity in, in the way that transactions are done. Uh, and then finally, uh, particularly for cross-border deals, we've seen over recent months a number of governments uh, tightening their foreign investment laws. Many countries, whether it's the US, Canada, Australia, uh, countries in Asia, uh, the UK, and, and many countries in the EU, really to uh, put in place approvals or timing limitations, uh, given the uncertainty of the markets and, and the impact on valuation and, and local economies, that will affect the timing of transaction and the certainty of um, particular bidders in transactions. Arco, some trends in the deal space were already taking shape pre-COVID-19. How might the current climate accelerate those shifts? And what other changes might arise on the other side? How do you think tax leaders might need to adjust their approaches in preparation? The COVID crisis has basically significantly increased the need for all sectors to have a, a bigger technology play in their service delivery, in their product delivery. Uh, so it will likely increase the the trend of sector convergence. Just to give you an example, uh, digital companies have been able to purchase um, traditional supermarkets, traditional food stores, and have used their digital footprint to come up with a different way of delivery, a different way of serving their clients. What COVID-19 has, has made quite clear is where supermarket food stores were not on the digital path and have been, uh, let's say, receiving significant hits uh, during COVID. Those that were prepared um, have come out in a much better shape. So I think 
COVID-19 will just accelerate that sector convergence and the need to digitize stuff. Um, and in doing that, uh, that could be a, a driver um, for, for M&A once the COVID dust has settled a bit. Life, how are clients responding in the current environment? What kinds of conversations are you having? Well, uh, the reaction of clients is, um, for most of them that are um, active in the M&A markets, both selling and buying, they first of all have become very cautious. So what we see continuing is um, activity uh, around larger complex transactions that need preparation like carve-out situations or situations where we prepare companies together with our clients for IPOs. Um, in, in these situations, um, the, uh, our clients tend to continue the projects, which shows us that they do have the expectation that once the preparation activity for these transactions is done, they count with a much more favorable uh, market environment again, which is, uh, 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 yeah, as, as, as this activity shows, not seen as being too far away. But we are, on the other hand, also having lots of conversations with people now watching out for investment opportunities, for example, out of distress situations this crisis will bring. But I, I don't think people generally feel it's the time to act already. Thanks, Life. Arco, what are the key considerations tax leaders should have in mind if they're to be best positioned to execute deals when the time eventually comes? I think in this environment, uh, with so much uncertainty, a sensible purchaser wants to do scenario modelling. So they want to be able to see, OK, if this happens with the company in terms of financial performance, how does it play out? So uh, modeling and planning. But that same question is also relevant from a taxation perspective. It's essentially, leaders should be able to guide their, their deal professionals or their M&A tax department or their CFO. They should be able to explain what is the are the various options that we can see happening from a taxation perspective. Um, what is our, let's say, view as a as a tax person in the transaction, and how do you model out that uncertainty and that view on likelihood of scenarios? Arco, turning to the combination of tax reform and COVID-related changes, how are these affecting the deal space? Are there any specific nuances for private equity firms as opposed to other players in the market? What we see is that tax is playing a significant role where it comes to the government support measures uh, that a lot of governments have been, have been issuing um, as, as part of the COVID crisis. So tax is, an, a, is a frequently used instrument to help support the economy. So it's, it's about deferral of tax payments and there's accelerated write-offs, there's carry back of, uh, of losses to profit years, et cetera, et cetera. So we've seen a lot of tax-related support measures, um, and to the extent deals still happen at this stage with a company that is asking for support, um, it is crucial 
to understand what these government support measures and the tax element mean from a from a deal perspective. Um, so what we are now seeing after the first wave of government support measures is a second wave coming up. And what we see is requirements where it relates to a company that is uh, asking for government support in terms of ability to do dividend distributions, in terms of um, ability to pay out bonuses, etc. And um, definitely that is pretty critical from a deal structuring perspective to understand if a company has used support in any kind of means, what that means on the tax profile going forward. Stuart, with all the additional financial pressures, many companies are undertaking refinancing or restructuring measures of their debt. So what are your thoughts around this subject for the upcoming months? Yes, it's a great question and it's it's going to be a critical time, particularly as companies come through the next three months and and business uh, really recommences. You come back to to governance, especially if a company is uh, considering undertaking a new transaction or a restructuring or raising new debt or equity capital. It's putting in place those internal processes and the right governance and oversight so that the company makes the decisions in the right way with the right stakeholders and in a way that's very transparent and verifiable to internal and external parties. Um, Very key at this time is really to look at existing arrangements as well as what's proposed. So if a company is considering a refinancing or a restructuring, uh, most of our clients will have external financing, both uh, from equity and, and debt markets, and really reviewing and adapting any uh, covenants or undertakings or provisions to which the company is subject now and which could be affected by a restructuring or refinancing. So going into any of those uh, new transactions with uh, your eyes very open about what the existing uh, obligations are and how they may need to be managed with third parties. Thirdly, I'm really looking very carefully at whatever the new terms of a refinancing or, or an equity issue may be and at a very basic level, making sure the company can meet those obligations, both both financial and otherwise. And that would apply uh, far more if a company was in any form of financial pressure uh, or financial distress at that time. Uh, and lastly, for uh, for the key managers and directors of the company, and, and this may be for smaller or, um, or our unlisted uh, clients, uh, sometimes where the third parties would require personal guarantees or undertakings from directors or shareholders or significant owners. And it's like in anything, uh, any personal liability should only be taken on with your eyes very open as to what that liability may be and exactly why it's required by your counterparty. And what steps should companies be taking if faced with restructuring or insolvency decisions? Well, the first, um, first step is not to rush, uh, particularly around a financial restructuring uh, or an insolvency. These are business critical and, and legal critical issues for clients. So the first step is not to rush and again to put the appropriate governance and reporting in place so that the right decisions are made on the right basis and really the paper trail is established so that when third parties look at what the company has done, it's very clear. Uh, The second key thing is to avoid changing financial obligations without carefully thinking them through. So any change in financial obligation that could create a new liability or a different liability and possibly create uh, an ability for somebody to claim that that should not have been done uh, is more important than ever. Uh, undertaking scenario planning. So it's a very uncertain world we live in at the moment and any transaction that starts, whether it's a uh, pre or post insolvency restructuring, rarely finishes in the way that it starts. And lastly, to um, to work with and not against stakeholders, particularly financiers. 
so working very cooperatively with rather than against the interest of those internal and external stakeholders delivers the right outcome for every party. Thanks, Stuart. Life in the M&A market, private equity is obviously a key player. But do private equity firms have the same issues as other companies? And how do you see their role emerging as we go forward? First of all, yes, of course. As um, key participants in the M&A market, they are, of course, affected like everybody. Um, The times to come will be very interesting for private equity. Um, A, I think they can even count with further inflows of capital and with, uh, we'll see that dry powders uh, even increasing. So uh, as I said, in the low interest uh, environment, uh, there will be a huge interest in, um, in investment uh, through institutional investors. They will see the valuation levels slightly decreasing, but um, apart from distressed activity, at least for a certain time, they will at the same time maybe not find it easy to find opportunity because um, it needs sellers and or businesses that are not necessarily uh, getting into stress. It's clearly not an ideal time to sell for the owners of these businesses. So um, uh, we will see, of course, um, uh, transaction activity out of stress and out of restructurings. But this uh, is a part of the market where only a part of the institutional investors and private equities are really looking at and can really looking at, uh, given how their funds are structured. Um, So it depends very much on the product of private equity, whether activity can come back uh, shortly or rather long. Arco, do you see the same pressures on PE firms that corporate businesses are experiencing? It's, it's perhaps more dependent uh, in terms of modeling, in terms of determining what um, how the financial position of the company on a going forward basis should look like. It's more dependent on, on leverage, uh, the ability to uh, to play around with cash generated in the company, than potentially corporates. Um, so to the extent that government support measures would um, would inhibit the ability to, add, for example, pay out dividends in a certain country because in that country there's been government support, um, payout bonuses, etc. Typically, you would expect that private equity is impacted uh, more than than uh, corporate players, um, as, as they generally have a bit more flexibility in um, in working around the financing of their transactions and uh, making sure that their debt uh, is is being serviced. So I would say the impact is a bit bigger for PE backed firms than it is for corporates. Stuart, what kind of new opportunities do you think will emerge for businesses? We're relatively positive on where the opportunities will emerge because we think that um, that it gives our clients the opportunity to actually accelerate some of the trends that we were seeing before. So certainly opportunities in technology, uh, digitization uh, will emerge and, and require companies to consider their business models, uh, but also the, the, the principles on which they operate. So a model that's very reliant on human capital and paper 
has been shown through this period to be stranded when we're in a work-from-home COVID environment. Uh, certainly a lot of opportunities around logistics and supply chain and corporate organisations. And we're seeing this already with clients looking at their supply chain from a resilience perspective, just not an efficiency perspective, uh, and creating uh, optionality and diversification of supply chains, but, but looking at a much broader range of issues. Uh, and lastly, the rise of data. So again, what, what COVID has shown is a company who has strong data and data analytics uh, and a strong understanding and ability to analyse its own data can actually react to these market changes a lot more quickly. Uh, and ultimately, this will lead to significant business model change for, for a lot of our clients and a lot of industries. So in terms of um, both their financial structure, their capital structure, their corporate structures, uh, and then, as I said before, their supply chains and logistics, all of those will need to be re-looked at in the context of resilience and strength rather than simply efficiency. And Arco, picking up on Stuart's point on restructuring, has the role of tax in restructuring become even more important in this environment? I think um, tax um, is, is a significant value driver in restructuring activities. Tax often represents significant value for a company in distress. For example, tax attributes like unutilized tax losses, tax credits, etc. Uh, so, in order to preserve these value-adding attributes, uh, that's technically complicated, um, but tax definitely plays a, quite an important role in preserving value um, in a distressed situation. So, I think we're in a situation where the role of tax is perhaps a bit similar as the global financial crisis. I think that the difference with the global financial crisis, why tax may even be more important, I think uh, because of the magnitude of the economic impact that we're seeing, uh, the, the pace with which unemployment in the U.S. has risen over the past couple of weeks and the amount of money that's been pumped into the economy in Europe, in Asia, is unprecedented. So the level of restructuring activities that we will see, I think, is also likely to be unprecedented. And Stuart, with all these financial pressures on business, I'd like to ask about the increased funding options in the market. What are we seeing in the debt markets now in terms of supply and demand? And where do you expect them to be over the next three to six months? So what we're seeing uh, in the, from a KPMG perspective is, is no lack of funding, uh, and that is also, of course, supported at the moment by central bank support for liquidity for financiers. And we would expect that to continue for the next three to six months. Uh, what we're also seeing is at a borrower level increasing uh, interest and principal deferral. So whether that's for business loans or for personal loans, most financiers have given a lot of um, uh, latitude to borrowers around repayment, particularly if they're in financial pressure. Uh, and that, that, of course, will affect the debt markets as we go forward. Uh, but what we're also seeing is um, that bank credit processes and assessments of credit are taking longer. And I think it's a fair comment to say it's easier to get credit if you're a current customer of a, of a financial institution or a credit provider compared to being a new customer for the first time. And that really underpins the final comment, which is it's like in all of these times, there's a significant flight to quality for new loans and the credit process and the assessment process taking longer. Stuart, as the global head of legal, beyond restructuring, what other legal considerations are top of mind for organisations? 
Yeah, look, top of mind is still um, the health and welfare of, of both employees and customers. Uh, also, we're seeing um, a lot of attention placed on resilience plans and business continuity plans. So a business continuity plan has gone from something theoretical to something very real for all of us over the last three months. Uh, there's a continuing uh, focus on government programs and support. Uh, so whether that's short-term support or increasingly where government will go with either tax policy or regulatory policy uh, or even foreign investment policy and what impact that might have on clients, particularly global organisations or clients who, in, who are involved in cross-border transactions. Uh, and last but not least, uh, my favourite topic around governance and litigation risk. So in, uh, in these times, of course, when, uh, when a lot of decisions are made quickly and for the right reason at the time, it's always possible that in one year or two years' time, a third party may look at that and wonder why the decision was made. So all of those factors sort of come up to uh, top of mind in most discussions uh, with our clients. Thanks, Stuart. And finally, Life, how long do you think it will take for the M&A tax market to return to pre-COVID-19 conditions or, or levels? And, and will it actually ever be the same? Well, as I said before, the M&A markets were uh, at really high levels, very close to their record high levels for years before this crisis. And I'm not so sure with uh, the environment we're going into, we will see exactly these levels coming back really soon. But as I also said, the uh, key underlying factors and trends of that bullish market before the crisis are still there. Um, what we will have to deal with is a gap in terms of pricing expectations between sellers and buyers. So we learned after all the previous crises that buyers adapt their valuations much more quickly than sellers tend to do. Uh, this can happen quicker this time, given the very strong uh, trends that I described before, um, but it will take some time. But if you ask me and uh, you want a very short answer, I think um, the M&I markets will be very busy again uh, in 2021. Stuart, Arco, Life, on behalf of our listeners, thank you for your time and thank you for providing your insights around how tax leaders are responding in the current environment and the conversations you're having about M&A activity, trends in the deal space, corporate reorganisation and the new opportunities that may emerge as we navigate through this period. Pleasure. Thank you. Okay, you're most welcome. Thank you for your time. Much appreciated. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. For more information and resources on COVID-19, visit home forward slash COVID-19 tax and legal. Join us again next time and please email us with any questions you have about today's episode at tax at kpmg.com and we'd also love to hear from you with any suggestions you have for future episodes. Thanks for listening.